and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies." For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. But just as we have the same spirit of faith that is in accordance with Scripture, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will bring us uh, with you into his presence. Yes, everything is for your sake, so that grace as it extends to more and more people may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The word of the Lord. We are um, continuing in uh, this sermon series that Pastor Ben started last week. And this series is called Conversations with Jesus. And the premise of this series comes from some research that was done. um, That it it surveyed several Americans, uh, several folks that live here in the United States. And uh, asked the question, if you could have dinner... With one person, past or present, who would you have dinner with? And the number one answer was Jesus. It was Jesus. And so then that begs the question, okay, if most people, the, the, the greatest majority of people would want to sit down and have a meal with Jesus, what would they ask him? That's, that was the question that we, that we were pondering. What would they ask him? And so we actually turned it over to you guys. And we asked you what you would ask Jesus if you could have a, uh, a meal with him or, or have a drink with him or a coffee with him. If you could sit down with Jesus and talk with him, what would you ask him? And Pastor Ben started us off last week with a question that uh, wasn't submitted by you guys, but it's probably one of the biggest questions we have. We would ask Jesus is, how am I saved? So Pastor Ben preached on this conversation Jesus had with a young man about that question. How do I get eternal life? 
And then last week, we had you guys write down your questions on the back of the connection card, which this week, you are free to do that again. You can take a connection card. You don't have to put your name on it. It can be anonymous, but just write down your question in the prayer request box and put in the offering plate. And we're gathering those and we're getting that information. So if you want to, uh, just think of the one question you would ask Jesus, put that on the back of a connection card and put in the offering plate as it goes by. But last week, we got several questions and we got a couple questions that seemed pretty similar to each other. And so what we did is I went ahead and I combined those questions and I tackled what was the most asked questions question of you guys. Um, and that's this question. Why do people suffer? It's a good question, guys. That's a hard question. And, uh, and so that's what we're tackling today. We're answering the question, why do we suffer? I'm guessing after how can I be saved? This is in fact the number one question people would have for Jesus. Why do you allow suffering? Why do you allow cancer? Why do you allow hurricanes to rip through places like the Bahamas and Puerto Rico and New Orleans? Why do you allow suffering to happen to people? That's the question that we're going to do, that we're going to wrestle with today. And, uh, you know, Pastor Ben and I, we try to be very careful. And what we want to do is we we want to positively draw you to God. We try to be um, uh, a little bit light and try to, to give you the good stuff that will, that will make you interested in getting close to God. And I hate to break it to you guys. This is actually your fault that you asked this question. This is not, this is not a fun question, okay? So there's not going to be a lot to smile or laugh about this morning. Um, but I know that this is a question that each and every one of you have asked or are asking right now. My... Uh, my dad's family, uh, his mom, the mom's side of his family, they're, they're a German family, and they uh, moved to Kansas in the early 1900s, and they, they immigrated to the south central part of Kansas, Wichita, Kansas area. And I don't know if you've ever been out to that part of Kansas, but it's really, it's a hard place to live, and it's a hard place to be. It's kind of like a desert out there. And it's not like here where the soil is nice and it produces this great, these great tall uh, corn stalks. This is a place that really only, only wheat grows well here. And it has to be dry wheat. It has to be dry ground wheat. It has to be a very tough variety of wheat. Uh, South central Kansas is a lot like a desert. It's a very hard place to be from. And my dad's family stayed in south central Kansas in the Wichita area through the Dust Bowl. And, uh, and they stayed there through all those hard times, and things have always been hard for my dad's family. And in fact, in Kansas, the, the Kansas state flag, I have it hanging up in my office, that's where I'm from, there's the, the motto for Kansas is, ad astra per aspera, look to the stars in troubled times. Because people from Kansas have to have some hope, <laughs> because things are very hard there. And you guys are probably pretty familiar with this, being from a farming community. Sometimes it's just tough. Life is just hard. I was having a conversation um, with one of our farmers this morning, and he mentioned uh, that this rain that we had earlier this year is a great example that we are not in control. We can have all the best scientists telling us, getting us all the best uh, strains of corn. We can do all the genetic work that we can. And at the end of the day, several showers in a couple weeks can ruin a whole crop, right? Life is kind of tough. And that happens. Hurricanes come through. Tornadoes wipe out cities. Uh, We hit financial hardships. We have to declare bankruptcy. Life is just kind of hard. 
We get sick. We get cancer. Our spouses get cancer. We have heart attacks. We have random brain aneurysms, random strokes that change the way that we function in the world. And we suffer. And this happens to everybody. Every single one of us in this room is going to come to the end of our life and our bodies are going to be old and tired and sick and we're going to die. Suffering is inevitable. It happens to every single one of us. Some of us suffer more than others, but all of us will end up suffering. So what in the world, Jesus? Why, why do we suffer? And so we're going to tackle that question, that hard question this morning. And we, we, we're going to a passage in Scripture from 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. That's why it's called Corinthians. It's, from, uh, it's, it's derived from the Corinth, the city of Corinth. And uh, Paul wrote this letter because he had planted the church in Corinth, and then he left, and he had promised to come back. And then some things happened. He couldn't quite make it back. And then all the folks in Corinth were mad at him. And so uh, they were kind of, you know, complaining to him about why he hasn't come back yet. And in the meantime, there were some other pastors had come into the church in Corinth and they started preaching a different kind of gospel and they started slandering Paul. And they would say things like this and tell me if this sounds familiar, if you listen uh, to pastors on the radio uh, or on television, or if you see them on your Facebook feed, they would say things like this. How could Paul be Jesus's apostle if he suffers so much? Jesus doesn't want us to suffer. He wants us to be happy. That sounds kind of familiar. I know I hear some pastors say things like that. And so they begin to say these kinds of things. Well, Paul can't actually be anointed by God. Paul can't actually be a messenger of Jesus because look how bad his life is. Look how poor of a public speaker he is. Look how, look how rotten things have gone for him. And Paul surely had his dose of suffering. He had been persecuted for his proclamation of the gospel. He had been jailed for his proclamation of the gospel. He had been slandered and beaten. And he, he'd had strokes of bad, lucks, of bad luck where his ships that he was on sailing across the sea would get swept up into these storms and they would sink. Paul knew what it meant to suffer. And in fact, he had this one particular suffering. We don't know if it was a physical ailment or if it was a sin that he asked God to take away from him. And God said, I'm not taking it away from you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Paul knew what it meant to suffer and he had suffered. And so he wrote this letter, uh, the, the second letter to the Corinthians to dispute these people who were saying, Paul can't be an arbiter of Jesus because he's suffering. And he goes to this passage, he, he, as he's writing, he gets to this part of the letter, and he outlines how it is that suffering actually shows that he is an apostle of Jesus. And suffering actually shows that he is participating in Jesus. And this is how he begins. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in clay jars, that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God. He starts off this section saying we have this message and that's the gospel that are the, the treasure. We have this gospel. We have this good news that Jesus is Lord, but we have it in clay jars. And this, uh, this word, this clay jars, it's evoking, um, think of just like a low quality multi-use dish, like a cheap Ikea bowl or plate, right? That like it's cheap and it's pretty fragile. And sometimes you like run it through the dishwasher and it breaks in the dishwasher. And you're like, what in the world? Why did this thing? But then you just go get another one because they're buck 50, right? This is the kind of dish that he's talking about. 
Something that's brittle, easily broken, cheap, easily replaced. He says we have this eternal, this great good news that Jesus is Lord, but we have it in this body. We proclaim this message with our physical bodies, with our tongues. And we have this message, this treasure, we have this gospel in something that's pretty darn fragile. Something that breaks easily. And so he's saying that, that his body is fragile and that our bodies are fragile and that, and that we are prone to sickness. We are prone um, to getting old. We are prone to uh, when, when bad weather strikes, we really can't handle ourselves super well. And what he's saying is that our bodies are fragile. And I think that when we ask the question, why do people suffer? This is really kind of the heart of it. Why are our bodies so fragile? Why are we so prone to sickness? Why are we so prone to things like cancer? Why do we get struck randomly with things like aneurysms and heart attacks and strokes? Why is it that when a hurricane comes through, so many people die? Why are we so fragile? And um, this, is, this is the question I think that we're asking. And uh, if you were to ask Jesus this, if you were to sit across your uh, dinner, your coffee, your beer with Jesus, and you said, why, why am I so fragile? Why do I get sick? Why do I get cancer? Why does this bad thing happen to me? If he were to answer the question that you asked, I think that he would point you back to Genesis chapter 3. And that's way back at the beginning of the Bible. And the first uh, few chapters of Genesis outline God creating the world. And the way that it's told is that there was this chaos water and God reordered and he created this good world out of this chaos and it was darkness and chaos. And then he brought light and order into this world and he, he designed the trees and the animals and they produced after their kind and it was this beautiful ordered world. So he took chaos and he created order and then he puts humans into the garden and he says, he says, you have freedom. He says, cultivate the garden however you want. You can, you can farm how you want. You can raise the animals how you want. But he said, continue to make order out of my world. Continue to do the good work. And he said, you can eat anything you want, any vegetation, any, any fruit, any plant. And he said, but do not eat the, tree of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You cannot eat that fruit. So he says, you have freedom to cultivate the garden as you like. You have freedom to uh, raise the animals and work with the animals as you like. But do not decide for yourself what's right and what's wrong. Let me, as God, decide what's right and what's wrong. And of course, we all know the end of that story. Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan, and they take the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and they eat it. And suddenly they are given the wisdom of knowing right and wrong. So they, they kind of, they, they, they usurp God's good order. They circumvent God's good order. In God's order, God is God and humans are humans. And humans cultivate the land, the, the world that God has given them. But they wanted to be God themselves. So they decided for themselves what is right and wrong. They took the fruit and they ate the fruit. And then something happens. God comes and he finds them and he says, what have you done? And they try to explain it away. And then he lays out these consequences. And it's this long poem. We're not going to read the whole thing. We're going to look at a couple of verses. But in these consequences, um, there are only two times that God says, I will do this to you. The rest of these consequences are just like natural byproducts of this sin. 
Okay? There's two times in that poem that God says, I will do this to you. The first one is, he tells the snake, I will put dispute, enmity between you, the snake, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. So he's talking about how there will always be this struggle between um, Satan and the evil in the world, the devil in the world, as he tries to tempt us and uh, hurt us and humans. So he's talking about that enmity, I will put that dispute between you. And then he also gave, um, he also told the woman, I will give you pain in childbearing. So that's, that's something that he, he actively put into the world. The rest of these, he just says, because you have done this, this is what's happening. And let's look at the, one of these that I want to highlight here. He's talking to Adam and he says, because you have not listened to my voice, because you ate the fruit, he says this, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth. So God says, he does not say, I will curse the ground. He does not say, I will bring thorns and thistles. He says, because you disordered my world, because I'm supposed to be God and you're supposed to be human and you tried to decide for yourself what's right and wrong, you tried to take my place as God, you have disordered my good order. Now the world is a different place for you to live. Now that humans by their own free will, chose to disobey and not trust in God, they actually changed how the world operates. No longer is the ground this place where life just springs up and food just springs up. But now the earth, the physical, is actually cursed. It's changed. It's different now. And it's by hard work that we draw food up out of the earth. And in fact, God says that this earth is so disordered now that it's actually going to produce thorns and it's going to produce thistles. It's actually going to fight back against you because of what you've done. It's rebelling against you just like you rebelled against me. Adam and Eve, by their disobedience, disordered the world and now we live in a different kind of place than God created. God intended good order. God intended good order. And now we have disordered by our sin, God's good order. And the world is a different place because of it. And it doesn't take that much creativity to kind of follow this line of thinking and how where things start off as thorns and thistles and pretty soon they become hurricanes, right? The earth is rebelling and fighting back against us. Because God created a good order, and then by human disobedience, that good order has been turned on its head, and now the world is fighting back against us. It's a chaotic place once again. So the physical world is actually fundamentally changed by our disobedience. And this is why God had the Israelites um, do sacrifices. Because he wanted to teach the Israelites. He wanted to show them that their sin, their envy, their slander, their lying, their greed actually brought into the world death. So he made them cut these animals' throats and bleed them out. This is what you're doing to the world. When you lust after your neighbor's spouse, you are unleashing death and destruction into the world. When you envy your neighbor's stuff, you are unleashing death and destruction into the world. When you lie about things, you are unleashing death and destruction to the world. Our sin creates a chaotic world. God does not punish us because of our sin. He does not say, you sin so you get cancer. But our sin and our disobedience 
make the world a chaotic place. And now it's chaos. So things happen. Tornadoes strike. Hurricanes hit. Earthquakes hit. Our bodies get sick. It's chaos now. What once was good and rightly ordered is now disordered. Cells are supposed to multiply. That's the good order. But cancer is cells who don't know how to stop multiplying. That's the disorder. Right? There was once a good order, and by human disobedience, our collective disobedience, we are unleashing chaos into the world. And Jesus actually teaches this in the Gospels. He talks about how God does not punish individuals for their sin in this kind of way. He doesn't give sickness and destruction because of individual sin. But he says the world is a dangerous place because of the sin that we unleash into the world. And then this is how this section ends. Until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We as humans, we live 70, 80, 90 years. In those 70, 80, 90 years, we have hard times. We work hard, we make our money, we squeak by, then our bodies get old, and we get sick, and what happens to everybody? We die. Even the most healthy people in the world, who spend all their time on their physical health, what happens after 80 years? They still die, right? Everybody suffers. The reality is that our collective sin has brought into the world chaos. And none of us get to escape it. All of us suffer from this chaos. So you ask the question, why do people suffer? Because sin has disordered God's good world. And now the world is a dangerous place to live. But my guess is, if I had to guess, that when people ask, Jesus, why do you allow suffering? What they're really asking is something like this. Jesus, I just got a bad diagnosis. I just found out I have stage four cancer. Jesus, my spouse got diagnosed with cancer. Jesus, my house got lost to a fire. Jesus, my house got hit by a tornado. Jesus, I just had to declare bankruptcy because of bad weather on my farm. Jesus, I'm suffering, so what are you going to do about it? If I had to guess, when people ask, why do you allow suffering? What they really mean is, what are you going to do about my suffering? What are you going to do about it, Jesus? I think that's the question that people are really asking. And I think that's the more interesting question. Because I can, you know, I just philosophize to you guys, right? Guys, right? I just, I gave you the biblical answer to why is there suffering. And the air is sucked out of this room right now. No one has hope. I gave you the biblical answer to why do people suffer. And here we are, hopeless. But I don't believe that we're hopeless. And Paul doesn't either. Paul continues this way in his letter to the second Corinthians. He says, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. And then he repeats it and says it a little bit different. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. 
Jesus, I just got a bad diagnosis. Jesus, I just declared bankruptcy. Jesus, I just lost my spouse. What are you going to do about my suffering? And I think what Jesus would do as he looks over the dinner table at you is he would show you his hands. He would show you the holes in his hands. And then he would pull up his shirt and he would show you the gouge in his side where the spear hit him. And he would say, I suffered with you. I put on a body just like yours. And I suffered betrayal. I suffered anxiety. I suffered bodily weakness. I suffered torture. And then I suffered death so that I could do it with you. But I was also resurrected. I was brought back to life after that suffering. And I want you to be resurrected with me. I think that's how Jesus would respond. Paul says here that while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake. We are always going to suffer. We are always going to face hard times. We are all going to suffer. And Jesus came into the world to suffer alongside of us and to die alongside of us. But he did that for a very specific reason. He did it so that the life of Jesus, the eternal life of Jesus, may be made visible in our mortal flesh. You see, our God isn't a God who, who is a philosopher. He doesn't stand back on his high mountain and snap his finger and wipe out all the pain in the world. He, he, he respects us too much. He says, you've made the decision to live life without me, I, so chaos is going to happen. You've made the decision, so I'm going to give you the world that you want. You decide what's right and wrong, and the world is going to be disordered and chaotic. But he's not a God who just snaps his fingers and gets rid of all the bad things. He's a God who rolls up his sleeves and gets into the midst of it. He's a blue-collar God. So he gets his hands dirty, and he uses suffering. He uses the chaos in order to bring about something new. Because here's the deal. Jesus promised us all resurrection. We will all receive eternal life. We will all be brought back from the dead. But guess what has to happen before you're resurrected? You have to die. If you're going to experience a new life, the old life has to die. God does not avoid suffering. And he does not want you to avoid suffering. He uses your suffering to bring you back to life. Jesus became one of us. He put on human flesh. He put on a weak human body and he suffered with us. He suffered with us so that we could be resurrected with him. But in order to be resurrected, we have to die. And this is different from what we hear. Because we tend to think that if, I, if, if, if God really loves me, he wouldn't give me pain. But any of you who are parents know that's not the case, right? Because we have a name for, uh, for parents who give their children everything that they want. We have a name uh, for their kids who get everything they want and never have to suffer pain. Right? What do we call them? We call them little spoiled brats, right? And we know that it does not produce mature people. 
It does not produce people who function well in society. It does not produce maturity to take away all the pain. We know as parents that you have to let your kids suffer through some things in order to learn. And it's actually loving to let your kids experience some of those things. It's actually showing them love to let them learn that there are consequences to their actions. Because we don't want our kids to be spoiled brats. And God is a good parent. And he does not want you to be a spoiled brat. God is not in the business of making you feel good. He's in the business of resurrecting you. And that means that you got to die first. And so we don't suffer like the world suffers. The world suffers and there's no hope. The world suffers and they say, there's nothing for me after this. But Christians do not suffer that way. Paul continues and he says, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. So we do not suffer like people who do not have Jesus. Because we know that through our suffering, God is actually bringing us back to life. And we know that through our suffering, we are actually participating in the life of Jesus. That by suffering and through suffering, we are actually being brought up into new life. And that if we have faith in God, if we have faith in Jesus' resurrection, he will make us more joyful. He will make us more patient. He will make us more peaceful. He will give us what we need. He will give us the strength to push through the suffering to receive new life. God is not in the business of taking away your suffering. He's in the business of resurrecting you. So, I wish that I could stand up here and say, have faith and Jesus will make everything better. I wish I could say that. Have faith and Jesus will take away all your pain. But Jesus loves us too much to do that. So he suffered with us. He died with us. And he brings us back to life with him. So let us have faith. Let us have faith in Jesus' suffering. Let us have faith in Jesus' death. And let us have faith in Jesus' resurrection. Knowing that through our own suffering, he's bringing us back to life. Trying to find